usually people are always looking for the latest fad or like the latest trick or hack or something. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're all selling to humans. And therefore, you need to understand how humans work and, you know, humans operate on trust. So if you can get that trust to work to your advantage, you know, through partnerships, through affiliation or through recommendations, then it makes your your life a whole lot easier. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode, and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Florian DeClute, and Florian is a teacher-turned-growth marketer and content creator. He's worked on over 60 different growth projects in six different countries, And he's grown his presence on LinkedIn from 9,944 connections to today over 32,000 followers in under two years. And I hope we're going to learn how he did that. So welcome to the show, Florian. Awesome to be here. Okay. The question probably on everyone's mind immediately after hearing that bio is, how did you grow your LinkedIn? I guess that's followers, not connections. How did you quadruple, well, nearly quadruple that from 9K to 32K in uh, so, two years? So I'm 44, so I, I grew even more than that. Oh, I'm sorry. That, so that was a, that must have been a misread on my part. 944, okay. So under 1,000 to 32,000. Right, right. So, so it's sorry, but um, I started off back on January 1st, 2021. Uh, so you know, I was a teacher back then, uh, working at length. Uh, and I was now Thailand during COVID was completely locked down. Like if you wanted to get into the country, you had to wait, like you had to spend like two in quarantine. So it's nothing in the world when your whole economy depends on tourism, right? So tourists mm-hmm. stopped coming and therefore the money stopped coming into the country. And turns out the first thing people stop doing when there's no money in the country is they stop learning languages. So I had to take a cut and uh, I had to take a pay for work. And I did what everyone looking for work would do, which is go on LinkedIn. And uh, going LinkedIn, like, time there, like not posting anything, not engaging, just like, you know, being that, uh, that alert that everybody talks. Uh-huh. And I kept seeing Justin Welsh content and, you know, and he was back where he was really focused on LinkedIn growth and he was uh, LinkedIn well, growth. Uh, Florian, just a second. Who did you mention there? What was his name? Uh, Justin Welsh. Okay. Yep. Like now he talks more about apprenticeship. Now, uh, back then he was talking LinkedIn growth. So yeah, I kept seeing his post and it made a lot of sense to me. And I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, if this guy can do it, I can probably give it a try. So I post first time, 944 connections, uh, posted what I was doing, was completely terrified. And my first got 20,000 views and I think like a hundred and likes or something like, you know, it went like, and actually just saw that post and commented on it and gave me some encouragement and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I thought to myself, I can do it, you know, and then my new year resolution for 2021 was to post every single day. And Florian, can I stop you for a quick second? What was that first post about? What was it? My first post was about me being terrified to post on LinkedIn. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> like literally I was like, I'm freaking terrified, but today is my first post on LinkedIn and I'm going to post once a day because I'm going to share what I know. Like, you know, something like really vulnerable and really honest and it worked. And so then I focused on building the habit of posting once a day because I think the number one key factor to growth is consistency. And then as I went along, I started like niching down more and uh, be more deliberate of my content. So I started with adult learning, then I did some LinkedIn growth tips, then I did growth marketing. And now I focus more on outbound kind of thing because that's where I kind of want to take my mm -hmm. career towards. And so back to the follower count, well, the thing is, there's followers and followers, right? There's people with extremely narrow niche. Like, for example, I have a client, he has 6,000 followers. He just landed a $100,000 client. And then you have people with extremely big niche with like, you know, 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 followers, and they just can't monetize it. Mm -hmm. So for me, the reason why I managed to build that following is just because I kept posting content and I kind of knew the algorithm. So I was able to get lots mm -hmm. of views. And back then it was less competitive. So it was easier to get more attention. So I got followers like that. But then in terms of actual business outcomes, I didn't really start getting serious business outcomes from LinkedIn until maybe like, yeah, about mm -hmm. a year ago when I started like niching down and redone Can my I stop audit. you again, Florian? Because you mentioned two very interesting things there. You mentioned that uh, this word monetize and this concept of monetizing your LinkedIn following. And then you alluded to it again by mentioning business opportunities. Can you describe a little bit more what you mean by that? How do those actually come to fruition through LinkedIn? And are you measuring that in some way? Uh, yeah, so... I don't measure it like deliberately just because I'm not a business owner. So I, right now it's just something that I do mm -hmm. on the side. So it's a nice to have. But when I talk about monetization, the way it works is you have to think of LinkedIn as a way to advertise yourself. You know, it's a platform to advertise yourself. So you're going to have some professionals hanging out there you know, some entrepreneurs, you're going to have some marketers, you're going to have some students, you're going to have some job seekers, you know, like mm -hmm. all kinds of people. And pretty much you need to figure out who you want to work with. So in my case, typically I, I like to work with founders. And then you have to think about, okay, what do I have to offer to these people? So for me, it was growth marketing services and specifically outbound. And then, okay, I have my knowledge. They're hanging out here. How can I show them that I know what I'm doing so that they want to work with me? And so pretty much my entire content strategy is like, how can I answer all the questions they might be asking themselves about outbound? How can I attract their attention to my content so that whenever they need cold emailing, whenever they need help with outbound or business development, I'm the first person they think about. And so pretty much the way LinkedIn works, at least for people who do business on LinkedIn, because you also have some people who hang out and share value because you know they just want to share. Like for me, I'm here to do business. But if you want to do business on LinkedIn, you have to see it as first like, okay, how do you build your authority? And then people contact you, they reach out to you, and then you start like offering them services and try to help them solve a problem mm -hmm. for a fee. And a big part of this is building your personal brand, clearly. And it seems like that mm -hmm. in a way you're loaning the value of your personal brand to every company that you work for. Can you talk to me a little bit more about building a personal brand, either through this approach or, and through other things? Right. So let's start with personal brand. Like why should you build a personal brand, not just a company brand? The best example is when you look at a company like Apple, you know, the biggest company in the world, and you take their follower count. I think their follower count on LinkedIn is about 6 million, which is not bad at all. Then when you look at Tim Cook's follower count, so the CEO, he has like 18 million followers. 
-hmm. Why is Verve is different? Just because people connect a lot better with people than with companies. Because, you know, companies, you can do whatever you want. It's still going to be a company with a logo mm -hmm. or something. When you take the CEO of a company, then you're not following the company. You're following the CEO. You're following mm -hmm. another person. And that's a lot more powerful. Just the way humans are wired, like, you know, we're designed to connect with each other. So that's the interest of a personal brand. And so then once you know what the personal brand is, okay, you know, it's, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to share who I am. Then you need to be deliberate about it. Because ultimately, you don't want to attract just anyone, okay? You want to attract people who you want to work with and who want to work with you and then who have the money to actually pay for your services. So for example, I always say, you know, you're better off having an audience. If you sell premium growth marketing services, you're much better off having an audience of a thousand CEOs with the money and the interest of buying your services rather than having an audience of a million students. Just because the students, you know, they're great, they're super engaged, they're super encouraging, but ultimately they can't afford your services. So in terms of a personal brand, you want to know deep down who you want to target. Once you know who you want to target, then you have to put yourself in their shoes and think about, okay, what problems do they have that I can solve for them? So for example, let's take outbound. Okay, so they want to do outbound. So they want to do cold calling, they want to do cold emailing, they want to get customers. Like, you know, they want to get customers through whose means. So then you take cold emailing. What are the sub-problems of cold emailing? Okay, well, you need to get your domain set up. You need to make sure you don't line in spam. You need to build your list. You need to make sure that the list is high quality. You need to make sure that you write the right email. You need to make sure that you put together the right sequence. You want to make sure that you combine it with other channels. So then you have all these small micro topics that audience is wondering about. And your goal is to pretty much answer those questions through your content. So that way they see you as the authority and then they reach out to you because they have an extra question or when they have needs for outbound work, they will reach out to you. And that's exactly what a personal mm -hmm. brand does. And it's definitely not like trying to cater to everyone and having a massive following is to be known for something extremely specific. Okay. And that's what you want. And in your case, who is your ideal customer? For me, my ideal customer is a founder of an early stage company that are looking to get their first 10 clients. Okay. Just because those are people who are willing to experiment. Usually, like, you know, they're willing to take risks because they have nothing to lose, right? They are people who are willing to, like, they want to get their customers, but they don't have the ad budget to spend on Facebook or on LinkedIn or things like this. So typically, for these people, like, cold emailing is a, bit, is a way to go just because it's the most scalable and affordable way to go at it. And yeah, I, sh I should mention it's for B2B clients as well because, you know, because of the regulations, you can't really do B2C mm -hmm. for cold emailing. So. Yeah. Now, budget must be a concern if they're founders of early stage companies, maybe they're pre-seed. And you said that they often don't have budgets to do big advertising spend, but they would have a budget to do cold email and outbound. Right. So how do you typically get them started? Can you walk us through the steps that you would take to get them ready to do outbound? Sure. So the first thing is to understand, like, do they have an idea of who their ideal customer is? Because, you know, you can have the best email in the world. If you send it to the wrong person, it's not going to work. So we want to make sure that they know who their target audience is. I want to make sure that they know what their pain points are. And I want to make sure that they have a unique selling proposition, that they have a solution, like a unique solution to that problem. Otherwise, I don't want to work with them just because that's just doomed to fail. If they don't know who they're going to target, if they don't know enough about that, if they don't know about their problems and their pain points, then I can't write a sequence because 
I'm not going to be able mm-hmm. to get their attention, right? Because for example, if I say, hey, Paris, I know you have many problems running your business. How about we set up a call so that I can help you solve those problems? You'll be like, yeah, you're wasting my time. Like, <laughs> can you be more specific, you know? So it's very important to make sure that they actually have an idea of what the pain points are and what the solution are bringing to those pain points. Then once we have that, we talk, we have a kickoff. I learn as much as possible about their solution, about the target audience that they're targeting. I set up a domain, separate domain from what they're using, simply because I just want to have full control about all the different levers of a campaign. Warm up the domain, very important, because otherwise, if you start sending cold emails using a domain that's not warmed up, it's going to land in spam. What does warming up mean? What is that process? That's a great question. So the way it works is, so you start a new business, you start a new domain, right? And so you have your provider, let's say you have Google, and they provide you with the domain, with the email. And then all of a sudden, you start sending 100 emails a day from that domain. Like Google is going to say, wait a second, I don't know this guy. That's weird. Like, you know what? I'm going to shut them down just because they don't seem trustworthy. And another thing that's going to happen is your target providers, they're going to see, wait a second, I'm getting this email from this domain that no one knows about. Like, you know, that's just been created two days ago. Uh, I should probably put it in spam because it's probably mm-hmm. dangerous, you know. So warming up is pretty much you use uh, applications. So personally, I use Limwarm, but you have other tools like GMAS, for example, where it automatically mm-hmm. ramps up your domain just by sending automated emails mm-hmm. to each other. So pretty much like one Limwarm uh, email will send an email to another Limwarm email, and then they will make sure that it lands in the inbox. So that way it kind of like increases the quality of the domain. And so after two weeks, what happens is you can send about a hundred emails a day and you're pretty much sure that it will land mm-hmm. in the inbox, which is what you want because that's going to massively increase your chances of being open and being read and ending meetings. So that's a very important step. Then during that time, I will create a sequence. Typically it would be between five to eight emails, depending mm-hmm. on what makes sense. Just because you want not just to create one email that catches attention, but you also want to have lots of follow-ups because people are super busy. You know, they get like two, 300 mm-hmm. emails a day. You know, the money is in the follow-ups. Yeah. And then you just launch the sequence and then you just see what's happening. You see the reactions and then you just make Mm -hmm. some tests. So you test different subject lines, you test different openers, you test different formats. Sometimes you put a picture, sometimes you don't put a picture. Sometimes you put a picture of yourself with a mug. Sometimes you put a picture of Mm -hmm. a dog. You know, the potential for testing is, is endless. So what does the typical sequence look like in terms of the number of touches? And is this all through email or does it also include LinkedIn messaging and SMS? So it really depends. So I can do cold emails. I can email only. I like email only just because it scales a lot mm-hmm. more. So it's a lot easier, like, you know, because you only have one limit to worry about, which is your emails limit. LinkedIn has much stricter limits. So if you try to do sequences where you pair cold emails plus LinkedIn, like you have to actually have to do the LinkedIn part manually because if you do it automatically, LinkedIn is going to shut down your account, which is not the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So pretty much I have three different grades. I have cold emails, which is just, you know, you send a sequence of between five and eight emails mm-hmm. usually. That's how it would be. Then the second setup would be cold email plus LinkedIn. So pretty much I start with a LinkedIn connection, then say, hey, you know, love to connect and stuff. I'm going to send you an email tomorrow. And then the guy accepts the request and he's like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when they get the email, they're kind of like, oh, wow, you know, you actually, you actually oh, did so it. You, you, in the connection request message, you indicate that you're going to be sending them an email tomorrow. And that means that yeah. once you connect, you'll have their email address from their contact info? So I grab the email address oh, okay. beforehand. So it's in the list building process. I get, grab the email address. So I tell them, hey, I found your email. Uh, I send you a note tomorrow. 
And usually what happens is, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. But they get the email and they kind of like, oh, wow, how do you mm -hmm. do that? So, you know, it's a good way to get the attention. So that's the second setup I do. The third setup I do is combos, so which is a lot more time consuming. But combos pretty much consist of cold emailing, LinkedIn messages, and mm -hmm. cold calling. So it takes more time because obviously you need, you need to pick up the phone, but that's super powerful, especially when you do it in under two minutes, because you want to kind of like swarm them. Like you kind of want to take the prospect and like feel like they're being swarmed mm -hmm. by bees and you know, they're being of the phone rings, they get a voicemail. Oh, I get something on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm getting an email now. And if you have to feel the only way to get rid of you is to open your email and see what you want and then either say mm -hmm. yes or no. So that's the first thing I do. Actually, it's the combos. Uh, I didn't invent anything. It's my mentor, Justin Michael, who's been doing it. He knows a lot more about it than me. So you can follow his content oh, to okay. find out more. And what is a decent success rate? Or let's say if the goal of all this is to get someone to agree to a strategy call or a discovery call with you out of 100 sends or out of 100 contacts, what would you be happy with in terms of discovery calls out of that list? So it really depends on what you're selling, right? I mean, let's say you're selling a solution that's like a million dollars ARR. You know, if you send 100 emails and you get one person to agree on a discovery call, and then maybe out of each discovery call, you convert like 25% mm -hmm. of them, then, you know, you make a million dollars for 400 emails. I'm pretty sure a lot of people can mm -hmm. live with that. So it really depends. But typically for my customers, like getting a discovery call rate between like above 2% mm -hmm. would be great. Like I'd be very happy with it. One to 2% will be average and then below 1%. That means I did something wrong either with defining the target audience or I picked the wrong unique selling mm -hmm. proposition or I picked the wrong pain point to talk yeah. to go after. Are there any hidden gems or hidden subject line tricks that tend to work really well to get the open rate? The one thing I find works really well is to make your email super ugly. Mm -hmm. So you know how the typical email is like, Subject line, introduction, or like, you know, company X, your company or mm -hmm. something. And then you have, hey, Paris, I work for this company. Ba, 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 ba. We sell some. Ba, 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 ba. Would you agree for a meeting? At, uh, and actually, it's all really well laid out with like nice paragraphs and nice grammar and something. And actually, I was, it's actually Justin Michael who got me introduced to that method, which is to make your email super ugly. So pretty much my subject line would be something like growth, uh, all in small letters. And then I say, hey, Paris, got something that, might be interested for you, interesting for you. I recently managed to do X, Y, and Z with your competitor. If that makes sense, should we set up a time mm -hmm. to call? Thanks, Flo. Yep. And it's all one block. There's typos on it. Like sometimes I forget to capitalize. Sometimes I would write thanks with like TH in capital letters just to make it look like, I know I just wrote it on my phone like mm -hmm. super quickly and send. And it seems to work really well. I mean, I've achieved some like 70, 80% open rates with emails mm -hmm. like this. And they're the ugliest emails in the world. <laughs> and, you know, my English teachers would be, mm -hmm. but I used to teach English, you know, like I cringe when I see that because, you know, the grammar is horrible. The punctuation is horrible or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it goes straight to the point. And, you know, when you think about it, it seems authentic, you know, if that's where I was going to is people think, okay, if someone's writing a sequence for a sequencer, are they going to make sure the spelling is right? Are they going to make sure there's no typos? So if you leave a typo, that they're like, yeah, he can't possibly have put it in a sequencer. That, no one does that. No, no one's that stupid. <laughs> but, you know, I do. <laughs> then it works. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. 
and you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. And let's talk about the tools that you use. And there was a really great LinkedIn post recently about all the tools that you've tested and then you boil them down to about six or seven. Talk about your, your tool stack that's powering all this. All right. So my go-to email sequencer is uh, Lemdis. I mean, I guess it's the tool that I've been using my entire growth life. That's what we've been re- using at Red Dot. Plus, I really like the founder, Guillaume. I don't know if he's listening, but if you're listening, I'm a yeah, big fan. Yeah, Guillaume was on the show uh, about a year ago. He was on our podcast. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, great. Well, yeah, but well, I'm honored to follow his footsteps. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great tool, very intuitive, very easy to use. And then I kind of like the whole branding. Like, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. That's kind of matches who I am. And then like, yeah, they have a Lemwarm tool, which allows you to warm up your domain, like straight built into mm-hmm. to Lemlist. So that would be my sequencer. For cold calling, I've been using Alloware just because, well, that's the tool I've been using at Venly actually. And I find it really intuitive. It's well connected to different mm-hmm. CRMs. So it's, it's a powerful tool and then the audio quality is always good. Can I quickly ask you about Alloware? There's a speed dialer and power dialer functions where you, you can auto dial. Do you do any of those where it's the power dialer approach? So I do the speed dialer. I haven't tried the power okay. dialer yet, but that's something that I want to try just because it allows you to scale a lot more. You know, if you can call five people at once instead of one. Right. So just for our audience's benefit, the, the power dialer allows you to make several calls simultaneously. And if someone answers, then that gets prioritized and then you can jump on that call live, correct? Versus speed dialer, which puts them all into a sequence, linear sequence. Exactly. And that allows you to save a lot of time cold calling because, you know, cold calls typically you would connect, like, you know, if you're lucky, you will connect on like maybe two or f- mm-hmm. 5%. I mean, yeah, you can always leave voicemails, right? But you want to get as many connects as possible in order to get conversations, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, power dialers is... It's really powerful. I haven't used them a lot, to be honest, just because I haven't had the opportunity to, but that's definitely something that I'm going to look to use more in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, the third one was Captain Data. Captain Data is a data aggregator. So the great thing is kind of like a massive connector. So the way it works is when I do the list building, so pretty much I get the data from Sales Navigator. Then I use like a email extracting tool such as Drop Contact, but you have other tools that do that, like like Lucia, for example, or Lead IQ. So you, you do that, and then you kind of consolidate the entire data, and then you upload it into Lemlist. So what Captain Data allows you to do, it allows you to create workflows where you coordinate all the different applications that you're working with. So instead of taking the Sales Navigator search, then you extract it through Phantom Buster, then you take the file, you put it into Drop Contact, you take the file, you put it into a verification tool, then you take the file and you mm-hmm. put it into Lemlist, you know, which is very time consuming. It does it automatically for you. So you pretty much say, okay, this is my Sales Navigator search. I want to take out like X, amount of contacts. This is the information that I need from them. Here's the company. Then you extract this list of contacts company. You match the two to make sure that you match the right person with the right company. Then you put everything into drop contact to extract the emails. And then you take that list and you put it into the Lemlist sequence. And so that way it allows you to automate your list building Mm -hmm. process, which is a huge time saver. So that's a super valuable tool that I strongly recommend. If there's another one, actually, I came across called Clay, which kind of does the same thing from what I understand. I haven't tried it, but it looks Mm -hmm. pretty pretty neat. So that would be my tech stack for cold emails. What about CRM? So CRM, so at work, I use Zoho. 
for my personal stuff, I use Fork. So Fork, the great thing is it has a great list building tool. So pretty much you can, for example, if you go into LinkedIn and you know you make a search for like all the founders in, let's say, Kansas City, you want to get a list of all the founders in Kansas City, then you make the search on LinkedIn and then you can import it directly to Fork. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you can kind of like set up all the events. Is that Fork? Did you say F-A-L-K, Fork? Fork, F-O-L-K. Okay, got it. Okay, so that's a very neat tool. And the cool thing is that they keep on adding new features. So like right now, they just added a template feature because I'm notoriously not organized. And so having templates from people who are actually organized has been a huge time saver for me. You don't strike me as someone who's disorganized, though, given what we've been talking about. Oh, you don't know me. You should talk to my oh, okay. wife. <laughs> uh, highly disorganized. So one of the things that we've personally struggled with with Outbound is, is trying to reach SaaS companies. And I think one of the reasons is that because B2B SaaS companies are so proficient themselves in doing Outbound and cold email, that they're also, that they know all the tricks. And I guess that because of that, they're also immune to responding to this stuff when it comes in the other direction to them. Right. So for these types of industries that are harder, and I think SaaS is harder are there any ways to overcome that when you're cold emailing someone who is also a master of cold email? Well, a way to do that is to think outside of the box. So right now, if you only do cold emails, you're going to reduce your chances. But chances are, if a person is in B2B SaaS, they spend some time either on Twitter mm -hmm. or on LinkedIn, just because that's where things are happening in this space. So if you add them on LinkedIn, and if you add them on Twitter, and you see what's happening in their what they're posting about, or you see what's happening in their company, and then you make a mention of it, or you know you engage with mm -hmm. their content, then it's not going to be a cold email anymore. It's going to be a warm email because you know they're going to recognize your name. So let's say, for example, you, know, you want to get my attention, and you comment on every single one of my LinkedIn posts for the next two weeks. You know, and so I'll give a notification. Oh, okay, Paris just said this. Or Paris just commented. Paris just commented. And then when I get your email, I'm like, oh yeah, I know this guy. So then I'll pay attention to it. And you know, I'll have a name recognition because I would have seen you in the notification. It's more time consuming because, you know, you have to actually engage with these people. But I think it's a way, it's something that surprisingly few people do because, you know, it's, it's not something that scales. And, you know, people would rather like, you know, send a ton of cold emails and like sit behind their <laughs> desk and make a call mm -hmm. once in a while rather than actually dive deep on Twitter or on LinkedIn and like try to get to know these people, see what they're posting about and try to get their mm -hmm. attention by engaging with their content. And even if they don't post content, you know, you can typically in B2B SaaS, people are pretty active on Twitter or on LinkedIn. So even if your number one target is not posting, you can always find out one of your colleagues who's posting and then hop on a call with them or like get their attention and say like, hey, you know, I'm trying to talk to Steve. Can you make me an intro? And that's mm -hmm. how you do it. So of course it takes more time, but you know, the riches are just like 5% above what everyone is doing. And, you know, very few people are actually putting in the effort to actually do that outreach one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one and going the indirect way and connecting with people around their target decision maker and uh, try mm -hmm. to get the intro. Yeah. I'd like to, to pivot over to another topic that I had been meaning to ask you, which is there was a really popular post about marketing. Well, growing your business with no marketing budget. And I'll summarize this. I think this was something that you posted about a month ago, but it had really great engagement. Facebook groups, content creation, and partnerships. And those are the three things that you pointed out with no budget growth channels. Can you elaborate a bit on those three activities? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, people have this conception of like marketing is about spending money, like, you know, it's about buying ads. And the thing is, if you're really smart about it, you don't really need to spend a lot of money. So cold emailing is one where you don't need to spend a lot of money. All you have to buy is a sequencer and, you know, some tools to get some emails, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's a very affordable medium. Then some other ones which are underrated, one would be partnerships. So typically what happens is companies, especially early stage companies are, or, you know, solopreneurs, they're very niche, right? They do something very specific. So for example, I do outbound. Now I work with my friend, Jason, Jason does branding. Okay. So that's what he does for a living. He focuses on branding. So, you know, he would be late creating the messaging, creating the brand, the LinkedIn mm -hmm. presence and all these things. And oftentimes what happens is that, you know, he has a company that sh shows up and say, Hey, we need your help with branding. Can you set up your her LinkedIn and stuff? He's like, yeah, no problem. Then he's like, oh, by the way, we need some help to set up our cold emails. Do you know someone? And then he's like, well, yeah, I don't do it, but you know, you can talk to this guy. And you know, that way I get like a warm lead from a recommendation. So that's a win for me. You know, he gets a cut from the deal. That's a win for him. And then the client, they get the solution to their problem and that's a win for them. So, you know, getting into those networks, like, you know, trying to get partners with like very complementing offers or even having joint offers with people where, you know, you kind of like sell a bundle mm -hmm. together, like, okay, LinkedIn plus cold email or Google ads plus Facebook ads or something like, you know, find people who are in the same general space, but with different skill sets and then build joint mm -hmm. offers with them. So that way you can create even more value for your potential customers. And then you, instead of having one person doing the business development, you end up having two people or three people mm -hmm. or four people, and you end up building a network of it. So that's the first one. The second one, you know, just being an affiliate, I've been doing this for Justin Welsh. I've been uh, promoting some of mm -hmm. his courses and getting an affiliate fee. That's a very easy way to actually get people promoting your product without paying them upfront. You pretty much pay them mm -hmm. whenever you make a sale. So let's say you're in SaaS or you're selling like a digital product. That's a very effective way to scale your acquisition very quickly because you pretty much go see people and with an audience and say, hey, you know, can you post this link? This is for my digital product. Every time I make a sale, you get 30% of whatever mm -hmm. I make. And then the guys are, okay, you know what? It just takes me like a copy paste job to do it. And then like, you know, build a build of context around mm -hmm. the post and very able to generate some income based mm -hmm. on that. So those are two very low cost channels that you can leverage. And then the third one would be referrals. So for example, you know, you have a customer, like let's say you work with founders, typically founders hang out with other founders. So if you have a founder, you solve a problem for them. They're very happy with it. And then you ask them like, hey, do you know like two or three people you can introduce me to that I can help? they'll be more than happy to do it because, you know, they're like, okay, they're super happy with your work. They want to help you as, as a result. And because they know that you do good work, recommending you to their friends is going to make them look good as well. Because then they know like, oh, okay, my friend's going to work with Paris and he's going to be super happy. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to be, oh man, it's thanks to you. Like, you know, I wouldn't have done it without you. You're awesome. And, you know, it's a nice ego mm -hmm. booster for them as well. And that's a way to get a ton of warm leads. And my favorite story is the story of George Gerard. They call him the greatest salesman in the world. Like he sold, I think, 13,000 cars between 1963 and 1979. Mm -hmm. So that's about like 2.5 a day. And all he was doing, whenever he was selling a car, he would ask people like, hey, do you know two or three people who would be on the market for a car? And people would actually like, give them names and say like, hey, can I contact them on your behalf? And they, yeah, no problem. You know, they just bought a car, so they were happy, mm -hmm. right? And that's how he would get those intros. And then he would call people and say, hey, you know, Harris just told me that you were in market for a car. Like, you know, do you want to drop by on Saturday to try one or something? And that's how he sold 13,000 yeah. cars. It seems relatively so, simple. But, so those are like, yeah, but it's the consistency of it. Exactly. It's a consistency. And usually people are always looking for the latest fad or like the latest trick or mm -hmm. hack or something. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're all selling to humans. 
And therefore, you need to understand how humans work. And, you know, humans operate on trust. So if you can get that trust to work to your advantage, you know, through partnerships, through affiliation or through recommendations, then it makes your your life Mm -hmm. a whole lot easier. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to when you mentioned trust. And I guess without bound, that's the key is to first find relevancy and then let them know that you're trustworthy, that you're worth a conversation. And I agree also that I think there isn't any real tricks or silver bullets anymore. I think it has to do with trust building and authenticity and relevance. And I tend to think... Uh, and yeah. that's where, as for trust building, that's where your LinkedIn presence is, becomes so mm-hmm. important because if they receive an email, they Google your name or they Google your company and they don't see anything, then they'd be like, who's mm-hmm. this guy? But then if they Google you and then they see like, oh, he's on podcasts, he has a blog, he has a Twitter, oh, he posts great things on Twitter, he posts great content on, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. And like, okay, this guy's legit. I don't know the person, but they seem legit. I should probably yeah. talk to them. And he makes your life all that much easier. Um, this has been great, Florian, and, I, and we could go on a lot longer. As we wrap up here, was there anything that I, I didn't ask you that you were hoping that I would ask or anything else that you feel would benefit our audience? Yeah, it was just one personal project that I've been working on. So I've been fascinated lately about the solopreneur trend, you know, people just building a business on their own and kind of like scaling it and ending up making like, you know, six, seven figures working themselves. And what I noticed with that trend, it's super interesting because I think that's kind of like where the world is heading, like, you know, kind of having lots of people working independently. But what I find frustrating as a father and my child has special needs, and so, you know, it's very time consuming, is that most of these guys have no kids mm-hmm. you know i have no kids and typically they have a wife who is also a solopreneur or a husband and so what i thought to myself is like, okay how about i create a solopreneur business on the side in one hour a day because you know if you're busy with a full-time job and you have like kids with special needs that takes a lot of time and then yeah you know if you have like one hour a day to build your business you know can you actually pull it off and i actually build something sizable and so i've been running that experiment for about what, three weeks now? I haven't been posting much about it on LinkedIn just because uh, I've just been overwhelmed lately, but it's actually an interesting thought experiment and I've been, I've managed to land, I think, almost five figures in deals in about three weeks thanks to my mm-hmm. personal brand. And it's really exciting. So if you want to follow along, like I'm going to post about it on my profile regularly and I'm going to start a newsletter that about it. That sounds awesome. Did you say approaching five figures per week in income? No, no, five, five figures since I started oh, okay. three weeks ago. Five figures a week, I'd be through the room. Yeah, well, that's not out of out of the question. <laughs> I mean, uh, but anyway, that sounds really exciting. Oh, maybe maybe in six months yeah. it's possible. Yeah, in six months it's probably possible. But you know, I'm, I'm taking it mm-hmm. slow. I want to do it in one hour a week, just because I don't want people to feel pressured. Like, oh my god, I got to work all weekend in mm-hmm. order to pull it off. It's like, you know, if you, if I can pull it off in one hour a day, it probably means it's possible. Yeah, this sounds people. really intriguing. I'll try to take a stab or a wild guess. Does it have to do with affiliate marketing? It actually has to do with my outbound okay. side hustle. The reason why I picked cold emails is because it scales extremely well. And, you know, first of all, it's something I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you do a side hustle or solopreneur thing, it has to be something you enjoy. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. Yeah, and totally then you want agree. to pick something that scales. So that way, you know, you deliver massive amounts of value in as little time mm-hmm. as possible. So, yeah, so I, I've toyed around with different ideas, like most notable of which mm-hmm. ghostwriting, but I found ghostwriting took too much time to be worth okay. the effort. So that's why I've been doing outbound, but also I, I'm doing a bit of affiliate marketing on the side, but it's not my main okay. source of income. Well, I'll be, I'll be keeping a close eye out for that newsletter coming. And that sounds, that sounds exciting. And thanks very much for being with me today, Florian. I had a great conversation about personal branding, LinkedIn mastery, 
and of course, outbound and cold emailing. And uh, I think you are certainly have, uh, have mastered all these areas. So congratulations on the success. Oh, I'm still learning. You know, I don't like saying I've mastered any of those just because, you know, the moment you say, oh, I mastered it, you just stop challenging yeah. yourself. So I still have a lot to learn. And, you know, it changes all the time, too. So that's the yeah. exciting part of about those spaces. Even if you're at the top of the world at point X, then, you know, if you don't keep up and don't adapt, like six months down the line, you're people will yeah, forget about you. Absolutely. So. Well, just look at what you did in a couple of years. I mean, the, in the rapid changing world during COVID, you made a major pivot. And maybe there were some people that were in marketing for a decade or two decades before you jumped into it that you kind of left in the dust. So that's impressive. Exactly. Well, that's that's an exciting thing. You know, with a new economy, you fizzle, everybody has a shot. Yeah, that's right. to take it. I love that. <laughs> All right, Florian, thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. Happy Thanksgiving. We're recording today on Thanksgiving. So I hope that... I appreciate you taking some time on this day to spend with me and I hope you have a wonderful day and, and thanks for being here. Thanks, you too. Happy Thanksgiving and uh, thank you so much right. for having me. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.